Episode 8 of the NAI Ball Podcast. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen. Bienvenidos, senoras y senores. I'm your host, Robbie Gutierrez, and joining me, as always, via Skype, the man, the myth, the legend behind the NAI Ball account, the foremost authority on NAI baseball. Cody, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, man. You know, every week we're getting a little bit closer to these conference tournaments, so doing well. Absolutely agree. The season just about halfway done for most teams and some non-conference action to talk about first. Tougaloo has defeated NCAA Division I Alcorn State by a score of 9-1. to Cody, how big is that? You know, it's huge for Tougaloo. Not only do you pick up a Division I win, it's the first time in their program history they've ever had a winning record. You know, they get their 12th win of the season, and, you know, I'm just really happy for that program. They continue to work every single day. Absolutely huge for them on this week's show. We will have surprises of the week. We'll go over the top 25. Hitter and pitcher of the week. We have some great interviews with Nick Herford and Marco Rivera. Our series from around the nation, our big series of the week. And we've got two new segments, opinion of the week. And we're going to give some props to some guys that have moved on from baseball, played in the NAI, and are now making the world around us a little bit better. But first, as always, we kick things off with our big series from last week, and I'll open it up with Texas College at Texas A&M University, Texarkana. Texas College, 14 and 12. Texas A&M University, Texarkana, 22 and 6. Texarkana takes this series three games to one, four-game series in the Red River Athletic Conference. Texarkana took game one, two, and three by scores of three to two, ten nothing, thirteen to nine, and then Texas College takes game number four by a score of seven to four. In game number one, Nate McGee for Texarkana, seven innings pitched, two earned runs, eleven strikeouts. Also in game number two, Evan Rogers, seven innings pitched, allowed just four hits. Texarkana. Out hit Texas College 14-4 in game number two. In game number three, Texarkana's Cade Thomason went three for four with a big five RBI showing in a route in game number three. A little bit of a high-scoring affair there. And then game number four, Texas College able to salvage something from the series. Josiris Del Orbe Martinez with two RBIs. And then Samuel Galindo with five innings pitched in relief. So a big-time victory there for Texas College to not get swept. Texarkana, though, continues to roll three games to one in that series, 22-6 and six overall. Cody, you had number 23, Reinhardt, at Tennessee Wesleyan. Tell us about it. Yeah, Tennessee Wesleyan was able to come away with the series win, took game one, seven to one, lost the game two to Reinhardt, three to two, but responded with the series win, seven to two. Big win for the Appalachian Athletic Conference. Tennessee Wesleyan puts their name back in that. Cole Belfair goes nine innings, one earned, four Ks in the first game, one win. Tristan Clark started off his big weekend, two for three with a home run and three RBIs. Reinhardt was able to get back in it. Dylan Powers had a complete game win in game two, seven innings, two earned, nine strikeouts. Sherman Graves had an RBI with two doubles. 
But game three, they got it done, man. Tennessee Wesleyan hit four home runs in game three, ended up putting it away seven to two. Al Cruz went three for four with a home run. Daniel Tolano pitched 5.1 shutout innings. Tristan Clark, big weekend for him, 5-11, two doubles, two home runs, six RBIs. It was, you know, like I said, big weekend for Tennessee Wesleyan. They had a really rough start with their non-conference, starting to be able to get back into things. Absolutely huge for Tennessee Wesleyan in that one. I've got Oklahoma Wesleyan at Tabor. Oklahoma Wesleyan 26-3 and now. Tabor 16-12. Oklahoma Wesleyan takes the series two games to one. Game number one was a route 23-4, to all for Oklahoma Wesleyan. Game number two, eight to three in favor of Oklahoma Wesleyan. And then game number three, five to four in favor of Tabor. Game number one, Oklahoma Wesleyan. Five home runs for their team. Ryan Lewan Leonard with two home runs and seven RBIs. Game number two, Tabor's Abdiel Alicia Diaz, three for five with a home run. And then Ryan Lewan Leonard again, four RBIs. In game number three, Diaz, a home run with four RBIs. There's just some absolute great hitting out in the KCAC. And then Tabor starting pitcher, Mitchell McIntyre, five innings pitch and five strikeouts in game number three, a win for Tabor. But Oklahoma Wesleyan wins the series two games to one. And Oklahoma Wesleyan, huge start to the season at 26-3. and three. Cody, you had Concordia, Michigan at UNO, University of Northwestern Ohio. Tell us about what happened there. Oh, man, it was one of our famous NAIA triple headers, 21-inning conference series. You know, not a fan of that, but we'll get on that another day. Northwestern Ohio was able to, kind of like Tennessee Wesleyan, put their name back in the hat, took a big series over a Concordia team that was nearly ranked. You know, lost game one, 5-2, to two, was able to respond with a 4 to nothing win in game two, won the last game of the day, 7-2, to two, huge series win. Marshall Edding for Concordia was able to get their first win of the season right there. You know, he's just really good. Anytime Concordia is playing that Friday night game, they're probably going to win it. And this chance, it was a Sunday, but they came out there. He went seven innings, two earned, seven strikeouts. He continues to be one of the best pitchers in the country. But Northwestern Ohio, man, they just battled back in game two and game three. Seven runs in game two, four runs in game three. Mitch Evans with five innings, shutout innings. Kyle Fisher had a home run. Blake Maines had a home run. Junior Gomez had a home run. Just a really good performance for Northwestern Ohio. They're a team that won the conference last year, you know, had a really slow start, but I think they're a team that's going to start building some momentum. They're going to put their name in the opening round if they just continue to win. So look out for the racers moving forward. Definitely Uno, a team year in, year out that is competitive. Definitely excited to see what Uno can put together the rest of the way. Number eight, William Carey at number two, Georgia Gwinnett was our big series of the week. None bigger than this one. Georgia Gwinnett won the series two games to none, 13-9 in game number one, 5-4 in game number two. I've got William Carey's coverage in this one. They are 19-8 on the season now. In game number one, Christian Smith had two RBIs, and as a team, William Carey had 11 hits. David Pimentel had two RBIs as well, and he's having a monster season. Three home runs on the weekend. Cody one of those home runs to dead center in Lawrenceville, that's a really tough place to hit the ball out, but it was one of the furthest home runs ever hit there. Yeah, it's a really hard place to hit a home run at. George Gwinnett, you know, ball kind of dies there, but he launched it. I mean, it was a home run against St. Ambrose on Saturday. 
but it was one of the furthest home runs I've ever seen at that ballpark. He hit a home run against Georgia Gwinnett in game one. Three home runs, like you said, on the weekend. Monster weekend for that guy. In game number two, William Carey lost the lead in the bottom of the eighth. They had ten hits as a team. Three of their four runs were RBIs. Four players with multi-hit games. But Georgia Gwinnett continues to win ball games. Cody, tell us about the Grizzlies. Yeah, you know, Nick Barnes, a freshman, had a big day for them, went two for four, a triple, and three RBIs in game one. Like you mentioned earlier, they trailed four to three in the bottom of the eighth. Nick Barnes doubled in two more, gave Georgia Gwinnett the win. Jordan Tilsey put five RBIs up the day, got the win, pitched 1.1 scoreless innings in game two. You know, William Carey came in Lawrenceville. They competed. They played really well. But Georgia Gwinnett, you know, just shows what they've done all year. Time and time again, they find a way. The Cardiac Grizzlies take another series, two games to none over William Carey. More for them that we'll talk about coming up later in the show. Now it's time for one of our favorite series each week. And that's surprises of the week. We'll get things kicked off with Grandview out of Iowa's Parker Thode. A no-hitter versus Clark. No runs and 12 strikeouts in the win for Grandview. Moving on here, Marion. They won a series over number 28, Taylor, two games to one. Martin Methodist wins the series over number 14, Mobile, two games to one. Flomo, Florida Memorial, wins the series at Weber and they are receiving votes nationally. Fisher College snaps the number 16 point park. They had an 18-game win streak with a 5-1 road victory for Fisher. Martin Methodist players Andy Hale and Kenny Embry ate a season-high box and a half of granola bars in the series versus number 14. Mobile, an impressive performance for them. Indiana Wesleyan's bullpen had an 18-inning shutout streak snapped two weeks ago, only to begin another streak currently running at 20 innings. One run allowed in their last 38 for the Indiana Wesleyan bullpen. And then Kansas Wesleyan PO Ryan Cantrell goes one for one with a sack fly, three runs, and two RBIs in a game versus Manhattan Christian. That's always huge when a PO gets an opportunity to bat. Yeah, absolutely. He's doing it for the brand, and, you know, they definitely appreciate it. Cody, any other surprises this week that stand out to you? Well, I want to say, I'll be honest, Marion taking the series, they ended up winning the doubleheader on Monday over Taylor. That may have cost Taylor a top 25 ranking. That's a really big series for Marion. They've kind of struggled this year, so hopefully they can lift that and go forward. Let's take a look now at the new teams in the NAI Coaches Poll Top 25. Poll came out on March 20th, 2018. The new teams in the poll at number 25, moving in from receiving votes, Cumberland, Tennessee, they are 18-8. and eight. At number 22, Madonna out of Michigan, they are 21-6. and six. And then at number 20, Lyon out of Arkansas, 18-7. and seven. The top five looks like this, largely unchanged. One team moving out in Oklahoma City. Lewis and Clark moving into the number five spot. Oklahoma Wesleyan moves up to number four, but then one, two, and three all stay the same. Number three, Southeastern. Number two, Georgia Gwinnett. Number one, Faulkner. Dropping out of the top 25 poll is William Woods, Reinhardt, and Vanguard. Cody, is there anything that stands out to you in this new second poll of the season in the top 25? 
Well, I was glad to see Lion make their way into the top 25. They're ranked number 20 in the country, and you know they're a team that lost three games early in the season to the number four team in the country, Oklahoma Wesleyan, and I'm glad that it has not punished them, and they've continued to win. They look to be a favorite in the AMC. I have to give props to Florida Memorial. They're receiving votes. They've only got 14 right now, but if they continue to trend upwards in the Sun Conference, if they continue to win ball games, win series in the Sun Conference – they could find their way into the top 25. It's the first time they've received votes nationally. That's a program that has done a complete turnaround. So got to give a lot of props to the Lions out there in Miami Gardens. They are playing some great baseball. Yeah, great year for Florida Memorial. Great year for Tougaloo. Like, you know, good to see these programs continue to compete and get better every year. You know, it's something I love to watch happen. Absolutely agree there. Always good to see teams getting better and better as the weeks go on, as the years go on. Hitter and pitcher of the week time. Cody and I always give out one hitter and one pitcher of the week. Player of the week nationally. I've got hitter this week. Cody has pitcher. We flip-flop every week. This week, my hitter of the week is Texas Wesleyan slugger Kiki Menendez. In his last five, he's hitting 591 with eight home runs and 24 RBIs. On the season, he's hitting 433 with 13 home runs and 41 RBIs for the boys out of Fort Worth. The Texas Wesleyan Rams and Kiki Menendez is leading the charge offensively. Cody, tell us a little bit about your pitcher of the week. Yeah, this week I selected Alec Hutt out of Harris-Stowe State. You know, he threw a no-hitter against Crowley's Lidge. You know, seven innings pitch, no hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. A perfect game would have happened, but they dropped a third strike. It was an error on the catcher. Kind of cost him the perfect game, but a wonderful performance through a no-hitter. He's been dominant all season. 43 innings pitch, 2.30 ERA, 47 strikeouts. People are only hitting 195 off of him. He's a terrific pitcher, and I wanted to make sure he had his honor. So congratulations to Kiki and Alec. Kiki Menendez out of Texas Wesleyan. Alec Hutt out of Harris-Stowe State for their impressive performances this week. We can look forward to, you know, crowning somebody pitcher and hitter of the week. Next week, Cody will have hitter, and I will have pitcher. Now, we were fortunate enough to do our second interview show of the season, and we'll kick things off with Perfect Game Small College Specialist Nick Herford joining us on the podcast. Joining us now on the NAI Ball Podcast, Nick Herford. From Perfect Game College Baseball, he's a small college specialist. Nick, how's it going tonight? Pretty good. Absolutely agree. It's a great night. We couldn't be more thrilled to have you join us on the NAI Ball Podcast. First off, every Wednesday you come out with a new Perfect Game College Baseball Top 25. Take us a little bit through how you do your rankings. What's your process? What's your mindset through all of that? Um, you know, a lot of it is done in the preseason. Um, once, once a lot of the, the, the fall ball kind of camps start winding up is when I will start kind of reaching out to teams and as well as just myself, just kind of going back over the statistics from the past season. And I probably spend a lot of that November, December, um, just compiling information. 
Um, I just have, I have pages and pages of stuff that we go through. Um, pretty much I reach out to probably every team that's been ranked at some capacity within the last three years, as well as teams which have had like an RPI in probably the top 50 to make sure I get most clubs. Um, and then I'll send something to um, their coaching staff or their sports information office. And I have kind of like an online form that goes through that has some, um, some a lot of the standard questions that you'd think would be asked of coaches. And then I have some more kind of stuff that's in-depth as well. Um, I try to make it really easy for them and convenient for them to fill out because it's all online. And that's where I kind of gather a lot of my information that goes into it. So the way I kind of figure is the more smart I am going into the season, the easier it is to go you know, week to week once it goes. It's, uh, it's, it really is a downhill process because, you know, once it starts going to, a lot of decisions are made out on the field, so it's pretty easy. You know, if one team's beating another team, well, then that team's better. So when you're going into it ahead of time, you're really relying, you know, kind of on um, just whatever your predictions are and, and, a, and a lot of hunches. Does that make sense? So <clears throat> what are we now? Probably about... Um, halfway through the season yeah. so right now it's the kind of the point where you're really starting to transition more between you know what you thought teams and players were going to do to the point where that's their actual output and you it's uh, so it's kind of like a hybrid between the two you still kind of look at the potential for teams to win but then you get to the point where you're also like well these guys just they're just not cutting it anymore or you know there's other teams where like i really underestimated them like i did for some of the the, um, like the Florida teams uh, in the Sun Conference. So um, it's so I don't know that's that's it in a nutshell. Well, I know you rank your teams every Wednesday they come out. You know you release your rankings through Perfect Game. I'd like to ask you mm-hmm. if you had to pick one school that's not currently ranked in your top twenty-five right now, who would you pick that could make a strong postseason run? Whether you know just be going to day three of the opening round or actually making the World Series. Um, I would probably lean on some of the teams. Well, there's clubs that were in the initial rankings that I had, um, you know, good at high expectations for, and maybe they didn't. They're just they're just haven't met them for the beginning of the season, and I haven't quite cl- closed the door on their on their possibilities yet. Um, the biggest one is probably Missouri Baptist. I think initially they were probably somewhere in the teens. Actually, I have it in front of me. Let's see. Missouri Baptist. All right, I don't have it in front of me. But I think they're somewhere in the mid-teens. And I know they started off kind of slow. Um, yeah, I had them at 14. And um, But now they've won probably nine or ten in a row. Um, so I wouldn't count them out by any means. Um, Bellevue, I had three headed into the season. And I had very high expectations for them, but um, I'm kind of to the point now where I'm, they haven't been ranked, and I don't really see it happening in the near future either. Um, so as far as a team that I, that's not in the top 25 now that I still think can make a run, it probably be Missouri Baptist would be my number one choice. Absolutely. I think a team right now that's not currently ranked is Taylor. You know, they have a really good offense. They have an elite pitcher in Matt Patton. You know, I think there's someone that could probably make some noise. 
Yeah, well, they're not ranked in the official NIAA, but I had them in my preseason, and they've been in the perfect game the last three weeks. So Yeah, because you're on top um, of your stuff. Well I mean, you know what you're doing. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> sure. know what you're doing out there, uh, man. It, it, well, it helps when you do a week-to-week, too. Um, that that lapse that they have in that two weeks, I think. I understand the motivation for it. I think it says it helps them build a better you know, overall picture of things, but I think it also makes it harder to kind of stay on top of stuff. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you on Taylor. Um, I know, I mean, going into the season, I was concerned about their pitching. Um, offense was off the charts, but it does seem like they're going to have the arms to back it up. So, um, yeah, they were 25 to start off with. And then I probably had them, you know, they didn't make the, the top 25 cut, but they were still floating on the outskirts. And I've had him there the past three weeks. Nick, Lewis and Clark State, defending multi-year national champion, sitting at number 17. That's pretty low. This is a team in the nation. Obviously, you know, the other thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if you'll comment on is, is there opportunity to play in the World Series automatically every year? Of course, that will come to an end, you know, in the near future, I believe 2022. But... 17th in the nation right now. Uh, myself personally, I don't see it. What is your thoughts on Lewis and Clark State this year? And then can you give us a little bit of a comment on what you think about them no longer being an automatic bid in the World Series, but still hosting their own regional? Sure. Well, I'll see if I can try to hit all those. Um, you know, even going into the season without even looking about who they usually have coming back, you can probably figure that they're going to be in the top 10. That's kind of like how Tampa is in, in Division Two, and there's a number of Division One teams that you could just you just you could just pencil them in as being a top team. Um, I know going into this year, it didn't seem like they had their usual um, reload and restock group that they usually do, where they get a whole bunch of um, you know like junior college players. And although it seemed they did have some bats still left over from last year. Pretty much all their big statistical performers and the guys who did a lot of innings on the mound were gone, and they didn't really seem to have um, a good wave of, you know, pitchers that were going to make up for that. There's just none people who are going to be immediate impact. So that's why they got a little bit back, as opposed to just being an automatic top top ten. And then they stuck at 17 all season. Um, I think they've played two teams that are ranked, and they split with both of them. So uh, GGC and then uh, Antelope Valley. So where I'd have the Grizzlies, I think are going to be, a, well, I know they're going to be two in the next one, and I think Valley is probably going to be oh, in the high teens. So Lewis and Clark's right between them. So if you just kind of go in the, on the field, that's kind of what I'd expect them to be. Um, but uh, pitching is a is a big concern for me for them. Obviously, that showed when they gave up nearly 30 runs to the Grizzlies last week. So, I don't know. T- to me, that seems reasonable. Um, but I, I can certainly see how someone could object to that. In regards to how I feel about them, I guess them and the whole uh, World Series situation going forward, I think it's great that they're not getting that automatic bid anymore. To the, to the final 10, it was pretty ridiculous to, uh, to have that even set up that way. Um, 
they're still getting an automatic bid to the first round. That I can stomach. I don't like the fact that they will also get to automatically host it. So, um, realistically, they'd probably end up hosting anyway, so it's not a big deal. But I, I overall, I think it's very good that they don't have that automatic walk into the uh, into the finals. Um, I just think it was an unfair recruiting advantage. I think it gave them uh, the fact that they're hosting the the World Series gives them a huge advantage. I think um, had the NAIA World Series been played anywhere other than Idaho the last couple of years, there's a very good chance that Faulkner would have a couple trophies, um, one if not two. So, I don't know. Did I, get, did I catch all that? That was kind of like a three-headed <laughs> monster of a question there. I know. That was probably the longest question you've, you've ever been asked, so I definitely appreciate you. It was you. like, uh, it, uh, it was like did you, did, I don't know how old. I'm 44, so I don't know how old. But there was a movie called Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield like 20 years ago, and he's like, I have one question for you. He's like, but it has 27 parts. So that's kind of how that was there. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Back to School, you should check it out. I don't think it's on Netflix, but... It's a good movie. You're, you're talking to two guys. Just that, throw that out there. <laughs> we're going to have to check it out. I've never seen it. Cody, have you seen it? <laughs> a little bit before my day, Robbie. <laughs> That's just, what I figured. Yeah, you and me around the same age, Cody. So, um, you know, that, that's a little bit over our head there. But, Nick, we appreciate you joining us here for a little while. Don't forget to follow Nick here at underscore Ephus Pitch on Twitter for all of his comments on nai baseball he's very active you know we've got two of the bastions of nai baseball on right now two of the biggest minds in nai baseball that covered the game and he is a small college specialist for perfect game college baseball nick thanks for taking some time out of your day sure and a big thanks to nick for joining us on the podcast of course all of the nai ball podcast interviews are courtesy of espn 1063 ESPN West Palm. We were also fortunate enough to be joined in studio by Kaiser University outfielder Marco Rivera, who's having one heck of a year. Joining us now on the NAI Ball Podcast live from ESPN West Palm's downtown studio is Marco Rivera, an outfielder for Kaiser University out of Puerto Rico. Marco, how are you doing tonight? Good, good, man. How are you doing? Man, we are surviving out here. Happy to, that you could join us in studio for this. First question, 554 average, nine home runs, 44 RBIs, and the thing that probably gets overlooked the most is you are 5 for 5 in stolen bases. Walk me through what goes through Marco's head when you dig into the box, whether it's with runners on, empty bases, because you're coming off of a game against Ave Maria that you went three for three with three home runs. Talk to me about a little bit about your mindset in every at-bat. I mean, I just go up there with the same mindset that uh, I step in the box. I always take first pitch. Um, and the reason I do that is because if I have a pitcher throwing a fastball the first pitch, I can time it. And I say to myself, okay, if, they, if this guy can't beat me with his fastball, he's not going to beat me with anything else. So that's my approach every time I go up there, and I stick to it. Do you think, you know, when you have that little nod and all that, 
how important is that confidence in in every at bat that you're in there? Because so many times we've seen you start a rally in a season in this season with two away and you get a double. I mean, you've got an enormous amount of doubles right now. You're on pace for 30 plus. You know, what does that confidence confidence do to you? Not just in the at, in your at bats, but in the play in your play in the field. I mean, it's huge. Uh, you know, I just go out there. You know, say to myself, you know what, just try to be the best player out there, be the best Marco you can be, and I just go out there and have fun, man. Hey, now everyone wants to win baseball games. Everyone wants to make the World Series. But, you know, what were the individual goals you had entering this season, man? You're hitting 56 for 101. That's incredible. You know, like Robbie said, 27 of your hits are extra base hits. You know, what were you trying to accomplish this season? Well, my, uh, you know, major goal is just to get drafted. Just to get scouts over here, try to you know get them to look at me and and tell me if I'm you know ready for the next level, which I think I am. Last year I had a pretty good year at Vernon College in Texas, and I'm having a pretty good year this year, and I'm ready. I, I feel like I'm ready for the next level. Absolutely. I mean, you hit 20 home runs last season at JUCO. You're on pace to hit 20 home runs here in the NAIA. I mean, I think if anyone's ready to get drafted, it's you, my man. <laughs> Thank you. You know, coming from Puerto Rico, you went to Vernon, now you're at Kaiser. Who influenced you in Puerto Rico growing up? Who did you look towards as kind of somebody who set the tone for you to have the opportunity to not just play big time at this level, but to have the opportunity to play big time at another level? Um, you know, growing up in Puerto Rico, we have, you know, if you play baseball, you have one of the biggest heroes back home is Roberto Clemente. And, you know, having him, you know, 3,000 hits, it's unbelievable. And he was a hero for us. And uh, But if I were to say a guy that I look up to and actually gave me an opportunity to be in his baseball academy would be Carlos Beltran, you know. He uh, he's an incredible ball player, you know, and uh, he was awesome. He was just awesome to see. And uh, whenever he went to school, I got a chance to hear him talk about his approach and how he played, and I just picked up a little bit from that. And you know, he's one of the biggest reasons I play ball. What was that like going to his academy? and growing up in that environment and being able to, obviously he's not out there every day giving individual lessons, but being able to grow in that environment with one of the biggest names in, in Puerto Rican baseball, who's now got a World Series ring, of course, thanks to the Houston Astros. You know, man, it, it was a grind every single day. You know, I, my day would start off, you know, waking up at 6 in the morning. I would get to school at 7.30. We would go from 8 o'clock to 12, you know, to the fields, hit, uh, do weight room, go to the track and field, you know, work out, and then after that, take a shower, eat something, and then, you know, it was class till 4. But um, it was a grind. I mean, uh, there was a lot of competition in that school. There was a lot of good players. But having him, you know, whenever he went in the off season there and, him tell us, you know, a little bit about baseball and his approach on the game. It was just amazing. Just amazing. Now, I have to ask you, man. I see it all the time on Twitter. 
the hitter of the day clocks, walking around campus looking like Flavor Flav. How did that get started, and what's that like for y'all? <laughs> well, uh, our hitting coach, uh, Blake Kang, is, uh, started off, you know, saying, you know, he always, before every game, he always tells us to be on time with the heater and that it's going to, you know, pay off. And it really does. So he bought that clock, and uh, that clock means that you're on time for the day and that you were the best hitter of the day. And it's amazing wearing it around school. Everybody asks you, you know, why do you have that clock looking like Flavor Flavor? <laughs> it's fun. It's fun, <laughs> man. It's really fun. Is is that required that you have to wear it to class? I know I've seen them after games. Uh, it's not just a clock. It, the pitchers <laughs> have a chain that they wear, and then there's also like some boots for for a hustle. Yes, we do. Um, we have the uh, clock for the uh, the best hitter that day, the uh, best on time. Um, we have the pitcher's chain, which is the best performance on the mound that day, and then we have the famous uh, hustle award, which is the boots that you got to wear around school, and it's awesome, man. Everybody like. The professors ask you, people laugh at you, they have fun with it. You know, it's, it's great putting a smile in people's faces. You know, Marco, final question for you. It's been a good season so far for Kaiser. You've got two big weekends coming up. What is the team's mentality going into every weekend under Coach Fordyce? Um, man, we just... When we get to the field, our mentality is just, you know, try to sweep everybody. You know, we're trying to be the best team out there and uh, be the best, uh, you know, Kaiser Seahawks that we can be. Um, right now, we're really uh, pumped up for these next two weeks, and uh, we're ready. We're really ready for the future and what it holds. That's going to be a loaded conference this year. you got Southeastern St. Thomas. Weber, you guys, you know, I'm excited to see y'all finish. You know, I definitely wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Marco, we really appreciate you taking some time out of your day coming on down here to downtown West Palm Beach and, you know, joining us here on the NAI Ball Podcast. Marco Rivera, outfielder for Kaiser University, was our guest. Marco, thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me. So a big thanks to Nick and a big thanks to Marco who actually was able to sit down in studio with us. Again, a special thanks to ESPN West Palm, ESPN 106.3, for allowing us to do these interviews. Yeah, I really appreciate Nick and Marco sitting down and talking some in the IA baseball with us. And, you know, we're just trying to get more people exposure and definitely just bring awareness to the IA baseball. And Nick does a great job with that at Perfect Game, so I'm really appreciative for him to sit down and talk with us. For myself, having both of y'all there it was awesome because – Nobody covers NAI baseball better than y'all. So really, really was fortunate enough to be there for that interview. So, you know, huge thanks to both of y'all. And I'm excited to see what we have down the road as far as interviews go. Now let's keep moving here. Our weekend ahead. What are some of the biggest series around the nation this weekend? We'll kick things off. Number 19, Campbellsville at Georgetown, Mount Vernon, Nazarene at Spring Arbor, Blue Mountain at number one, Faulkner, Bellevue at number 12, Jamestown. That'll be a great matchup as the Jimmies have just one loss on the season. Lawrence Tech at Concordia, Ann Arbor, Weber International at number 13, Kaiser, Westmont 
at Vanguard, Southwestern Christian at number 10, Oklahoma City. Number 23, Wayland Baptist travels north to Mid-America Christian. Number 21, Texas A&M Texarkana heads to San Antonio to take on Our Lady of the Lake. Mount Marty will play Concordia, Nebraska. Trinity Christian at Judson. Friends at Sterling. And then Lindenwood Belleville at number 20, Lion Cody. For myself, Campbellsville, Georgetown stands out. Which series stand out for you? Yeah, I'm looking at seeing Larry Tech, you know, the new popular Lawrence Tech, the Michigan Killers, and they're going to go on there and they're going to take Concordia Ann Arbor. Concordia Ann Arbor dropped the series in Northwestern Ohio. This is a really good chance for them to get back in it, try to get back in that top 25 against a Lawrence Tech team that definitely has a name for themselves now. Also got to keep your head up with Blue Mountain heading into Faulkner. I think that's going to be a great series as well this weekend. But... Now it's time for our big series of the weekend. As always, we, are sp- we split them up, and we have one series at the end that is our NAI Ball Podcast Big Series of the Week. But, Cody, you'll kick us off here with Mid-America Nazarene at number 24, Central Methodist. Yeah, Mid-America enters this 6-2 and two in conference play in the Hart Conference. You know, they've won four in a row, and they're going for a four-game set at Central Methodist, a team that's won seven in a row, and they're leading the conference right now at 8-1. and one. You know, Mid-America is led on offense by shortstop Carlos Reyes, batting 400 with three doubles, a home run, and six stolen bases. Outfielder Jacob Jenkins is batting 333 with two doubles, three triples, and 14 RBIs. And they've got some dudes on the mound, man. Jacob Sylvester, 33 innings pitch, 1.91 ERA, 41 strikeouts. He's 4-1 on the season. Jordan Daly's got 31 innings pitch, 2.61 ERA, 36 strikeouts. You know, this is a Mid-America team that dropped a series to Wayland Baptist early in the season, but... This is a huge test for them, and they can take a couple of games against Central Methodist. It's going to do them some well. Central Methodist is 18-5 on the season, 7-1 in conference play. Ridiculous numbers. Hitting over 340 as a team. Randy Perez is hitting 421. He's got five home runs. Logan Haring's a DH for them, 329, eight home runs. All that dude does is hit. And you have four different players with over 10 stolen bases, three players with 14 or more stolen bases. You know, they can swing it far. They can run. they got some really good pitchers. Kyle Fulton, 31 innings pitch. 0.57 ERA, four saves, 10 appearances out of the map. And Daniel Checo, you know, their leading starter, 35 innings pitch, 2.27 ERA, 49 strikeouts. They got some pitchers that are going to put it by you. Central Methodist has really impressive numbers. I'm looking forward to see them testing themselves this week. Definitely going to be awesome series to watch out at Central Methodist. Keeping it moving here. I've got Columbia at MoBat. Missouri Baptist and Columbia will play each other this weekend at Missouri Baptist. Columbia 18 and 6, 5 and 4 in conference play. Missouri Baptist 14 and 10, 6 and 2 in conference play. Missouri Baptist getting over a slow start to the season, starting to get things rolling here. But we'll take a look at Columbia first. 344 team average. Guy to watch, Andrew Warner. 500 batting average right on the nose, 598 on base percentage, nine home runs, 29 RBIs for him. You also have to watch Ethan Hauser hitting 364 with four home runs and 21 RBIs. Cody Ebert, 25 and a third innings pitch, four and one record, 28 strikeouts, and then Dakota Stone, 35 and two thirds innings pitch with a two and one record, 36 strikeouts on the season. 
for Columbia. For Missouri Baptist at 14 and 10, they're hitting 318 as a team. Mason Washington hitting 416 with two home runs, 21 RBIs. Maybe the best name in college baseball, General MacArthur, 364, two home runs, 13 RBIs. And you also have to watch out for Jonathan Pasillas and John Hagen on the offensive side. Pitching-wise, Austin Scheiber from Missouri Baptist, 2.57 ERA. He's mainly out of the pen. He's got just two starts on the season, but 24 strikeouts in 23-plus innings pitched. That's going to be a great series, Cody, I believe, between Columbia and Missouri Baptist. Yeah, it's going to be a huge series, you know. Missouri Baptist is a team that's really started to get it going, as you said, so I'd like to see what they do against a really good Columbia team. Number two, Georgia Gwinnett will travel to number 15, Middle Georgia State. Cody's got the coverage of this one. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. It's a split series. They're going to play two at Middle Georgia, and they're going to play one at GGC on Tuesday. Yeah, this is a really good offensive matchup. You know, Both teams are top ten nationally in hits, runs scored, and RBIs. Both teams are top ten nationally in doubles. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Both teams are hitting 340. Middle Georgia's led by Zach Cornell, hitting 429. He's already got 51 hits on the season. MJ Rookard, 427, five home runs, 22 RBIs. Trenton Nash is hitting 396, 13 doubles, six home runs. Middle Georgia, man, this team that can pound the baseball. And they're going up against another team, Georgia Gwinnett, that can pound the baseball. So I'm really looking forward to it. Georgia Gwinnett's got Walter Corsi hitting 471, a true freshman. He's actually a redshirt freshman, excuse me. But a really good player playing on his first year. Alex Garland's hitting 417 with five. You know, they got another true freshman, Nick Barnes. Dude is killing it right now. He's got eight doubles, three triples, four home runs, hitting 386. So this is a really good matchup for Middle Georgia. They want to be the best team in the state. They're going to have to take this series against Georgia Gwinnett. And I'm looking forward to it. The big thing for Georgia Gwinnett this season has been overcoming the odds and winning Ball games late in the game. We saw that happen in game number two against William Carey. We've seen it happen for Georgia Gwinnett all year. Get into the bullpen and really make opposing teams pay for it. It'll be interesting to see if Middle Georgia State can grab a lead and hold on to it against Georgia Gwinnett. Yes, the thing about Georgia Gwinnett, different than most teams, Georgia Gwinnett has not played a seven-inning game all season. So their strategy, you know, they want to get the starter out of the game. They want to get to the bullpen, and their offense is really good. So when you're bringing in a bullpen guy, you really got to be on your game to get this team out in the eighth and ninth inning. Definitely will be a great series out in the state of Georgia. I'm going to take us out all the way west to number five, Lewis and Clark State at Corbin. Corbin is 19 and 12, Lewis and Clark 20 and 5, LCSC hitting 319. Guys to watch for them, Casey Bailey, 379 average, 6 home runs, 35 RBIs. Corey Voss, another name to watch on the offensive side, a 340 average with 5 home runs and 30 RBIs. On the mound, Justin Hammergren having an excellent season for LCSC. 1-5-0 ERA, 5-0 record in six starts, 36 innings pitched, nine walks, 30-plus strikeouts, opponents hitting just 188 off of him. I'm hoping he gets to go up against Chris Jackson of Corbin, who's got a 2.44 ERA, a 7-1 record, three complete games, one shutout, 55 and a third innings pitched, eight walks, 42 strikeouts, opponents are hitting 207 
off of him. For Corbin, another great name, Andrew Axemaker. 398, 43 hits, 4 home runs, 33 RBIs, 11 stolen bases. Then Daniel Freeberger, 342 with 40 hits, 4 doubles, 4 triples, 16 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. Corbin has stolen 68 bags this season. It'll be awesome to see how much they run. It'll be a great test for the LCSC defense. And this is going to be a great series. Corbin always looks like they're having a great time on social media. It'll be awesome to see if they can really challenge the defending national champions, LCSC, and maybe take the series. Be a great series in Corbin. Yeah, I will say that um, I'm really excited to see this. Corbin is a team that's taken two wins over William Jessup, number seven team in the country. They've taken two wins over Antelope Valley, the number 17 team in the country. So Corbin has definitely had a quiet resume this year. They've played well. First time receiving votes since 2002. So big series for them against LC, the three-time defending champions. This is the bar. You know, if you can win this series, you can beat anybody. Now our NAI Ball podcast big series of the week will be between 23-4. and four. Brian, who's 9-0 and in conference play. They will be at Tennessee Wesleyan, 16-12, and 6-3 in conference play. Cody, you've got the coverage of Bryan College. Tell us about them. Yeah, Bryan's a team that can do it all really well. They can hit really well, and they can pitch really well. Fernando Garcia is hitting 462, 10 doubles, 8 home runs, 33 RBIs. Lake Burris, 410, 8 home runs, 34 RBIs. Brian has one of the best starting pitchers in the country in Stephen Chambly. 46 innings pitch, 2.35 ERA, 71 strikeouts. He struck out 10-plus batters in three straight games. The dude's got really good stuff. He's a South Florida product. Luke Henderson, their number two, has been great all year, 2.43 ERA. Brandon Merklin, a great closer for them. 18 strikeouts, 0.0 ERA, five saves. You know, Brian's a really good team this year, probably one of their best teams in program history. They're going to have their hands full with Tennessee Wesleyan this weekend. Tennessee Wesleyan's won six of their last seven. While they're not hitting like they normally do as a team, only hitting 273 this season, they're starting to figure it out at the plate. They're starting to get things rolling. They're 16-12 and 12 on the year, and they're going to get moving here. Al Cruz, 407 average, four home runs, 15 RBIs. Tristan Clark, 287, three home runs, 18 RBIs. And then Colin Riddout, 297, two home runs, 13 RBIs. Pitchers to watch for Tennessee Wesleyan, Cole Belair, 386 with a 4-1 record, 42 innings pitch, 7 walks, 42 strikeouts. And then out of the pen, Daly Carnes, three saves for him on the season in 12 and third innings pitch, 292 ERA with 13 strikeouts. I think this is going to be a great series in the AAC, and it's really going to be, can Tennessee Wesleyan find themselves back on top by taking this series, or will Brian establish their dominance with a sweep? Yeah, I think if Brian goes out here and sweeps this series, you know, this conference is theirs for the taking. But like you said, Tennessee Wesleyan comes out here, takes two games, they're back in it, they're showing they're not going nowhere, and you take Reinhardt and Brian back-to-back, the top two teams, you know, they're still in the thick of things. Absolutely agree, and I think we've got some great series to watch this weekend, so get to a ballpark near you, catch some NAI baseball. If you're not playing, might as well watch them. There's games going on all day. By the time the East Coast is done for the day, the West Coast is just getting started, so no excuses to miss any NAI baseball this weekend. 
Yeah, get out there and see a game, man. Support these players. These guys are grinding for us. Now a new segment for us, Opinion of the Week. And, Cody, I will start things out. Player of the Week, especially Conference Player of the Week. It's such a subjective thing. We saw so many instances this week where you, in multiple conferences, had two or more players that were absolutely deserving of their Conference Player of the Week, of even NAI National Player of the Week. And in more than one conference did we see a player not get that award, not get that title. It's such a subjective thing. It's up to coaches. It's what they see. You know, a lot of times that coach didn't get to see that player. They're just looking purely at the numbers. Maybe a guy had one less hit, but he hit one more home run. It all comes down to has that coach seen that player? What kind of year is that guy having? And did a guy just absolutely carry his team for a week? It's such a subjective award but it's one that you have to respect. And everybody this week that got Conference Player of the Week deserved it, even in the conferences where there were more than one guy that was deserving. It's just such a grind. You keep at it, and good things will come, and you know who you are out there. Cody, what's your opinion of the week? Yeah, my opinion of the week, we released earlier this week that we found out and that everyone's found out, I'm sure, by now that Lewis Clark State will no longer have the automatic bid to the World Series starting in the year 2022, so a little over four years away. My opinion of the week is they got given the opening round bid automatically, and a lot of people are not happy about that, and I think it's a really fair compromise. That way they get to bring in a crowd every year to Lewiston. Those fans show up to the World Series and do an outstanding job, and I've been following NEI baseball you know, extensively for five years now, and they have yet to have a team that would not host an opening round anyway. They're always good enough. They're always going to be a top-ten team in the country. That's my opinion, but, I mean, so I'm cool with them getting the opening round bid. I think this is great for the NAIA because I've seen teams personally, you know, I've seen the number one team in the nation in front of me lose two games back-to-back to a 20-loss team. So, you know, anything can happen in this opening round. So I really am happy with this process. They're switching it. Now they're going to get an opening round. They have to earn their way into the World Series. And, you know, I'm cool with it. It's a good opinion for me. Do you mind if I chime in on this? Go for it, man. I've been in that other dugout in Lewiston during the World Series in an elimination game against LCSC on a Monday night where it's packed and it's absolutely one of the coolest environments I've ever been in. The fact that they get to still continue to to at least host a regional is fine. People are always going to find something to complain about. But like you said, there has yet to be a single LCSC team that would not get into a regional. Let them host. Let them work. There's been plenty of times, like you said, where everybody's expecting the number one seed in that regional to run through it, and all sorts of weird things happen. One other team catches fire. The five seed catches fire and makes it to the World Series. Anything can happen. Let them host the regional. We're a long way out from it. They're going to be in the World Series for the next couple years anyway. So prepare yourself. Get to Lewiston. It's one of the greatest experiences of your life. 
and it will be absolutely awesome. But I have no problem with LCSC at least hosting a regional and not getting the automatic bid to the World Series starting in 2020. Yeah, you know, it's actually starting in 2022, but yeah, I think that they do an outstanding job in Lewiston. You know, I definitely like that to see people come out and support these NAIA players. So definitely for this World Series, I always want them to continue to host it. No problems with them hosting it. We just want to see them earn their way in there. I'm I'm glad you're here because I said 2020. It's like you said, 2022, but you are absolutely correct there. And without you, the show wouldn't be the same. And without you, you, you know, you're definitely the better talker of the two, so we appreciate having you two here, Robbie. Before we go, we want to start a new segment where we give props and a shout-out to somebody outside of NAI baseball, somebody who played NAI baseball, who's now gone on from a baseball career, gone on from college, and is doing better things in the world, making the world a better place. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this one this week. And I've got a guy that's really deserving of it. In Tyler Goff, a former Kaiser University player, had one of the just two years ago had one of the biggest Sun Conference tournaments of all time, uh, something like 12 RBIs just in the conference tournament, which is no more than three or four games. He is no longer just Tyler Goff. He is now Charlotte County Deputy Tyler Goff, and I wanted to congratulate him for moving on and helping people in his community and helping the people of Charlotte County. So props to Charlotte County Deputy Tyler Goff. Congratulations to him. Yeah, that's outstanding. College baseball is helping you so much in life and definitely helps you off the field, and we want to you know, wish him a great job. Absolutely agreed there. But that'll do it for us here on this edition of the NAI Ball Podcast. As always, follow myself, Robbie Gutierrez, at RobG1063. Follow Cody at NAI Ball for all your scores, news, and coverage of NAI Baseball from coast to coast. Until next time, you've been listening to the NAI Ball Podcast. <laughs>